Hello, everybody. I'm Therese Bottomley, editor of The Oregonian and Oregon Live. This is Beat Check with The Oregonian. Today, I'm talking with senior enterprise reporter Noel Crombie, who wrote the award-winning 2018 series, Ghosts of Highway 20. The series also has a five-part video documentary, which is on YouTube. Noel, welcome back to Beat Check. Thanks for having me, Therese. Now, as I mentioned, Ghosts of Highway 20 published several years ago, but it's come back to the forefront. Noel, take us back to late 2017 and then 2018 when you and videographer Dave Killen and photographer Beth Nakamura started working on this series. At, at the beginning, this uh, story was started out as, as an assignment from, from you, actually. Um, and you, I think at that time, had an inkling that there could be something uh, bigger um, to this um, convicted killer and his history, uh, the killer being a, a former state highway worker who is in prison on um, on a murder, on an old murder that dated to the 1970s. And there had been um, some indications that he might be a suspect in other crimes along the um, uh, highway 20, or at least there was some uh, in, in rural Oregon. We don't exactly know where. Um, and so I think too, you, you had also suggested that this could have a really strong video, a visual component. And so Dave, uh, Dave and I really teamed up from the very beginning on this story and we did not know where this was going to lead. Um, but we had to start somewhere. And I started with the case file in the um, killing of Kay Turner, uh, which was held in in uh, archives out of the uh, Jefferson County District Attorney's Office in Madras, and he was one of the first calls I made on this story. Um, I asked the DA if you know we could have access to those files, and he generously uh, granted that access and gave us access for the for many, many months, uh, we were able to come back to the office and look through those files, which really provided a kind of roadmap for this story. And at the time, John Aykroyd, the killer, he was serving time uh, for that conviction. That was, as far as we know, the only death he had been convicted of. But um, kind of what, how, how did the Kay Turner case relate to other cases as you dug deeper? Well, yeah, he was in in prison um, serving a sentence for Kay's uh, death and uh, in Camp Sherman in the late 70s. She was um, running on Christmas Eve morning on an isolated stretch of road in this little um, rural resort area off of uh, Highway 20. And he was getting off work and, and encountered her and... Um, and is responsible for killing her. Her remains were not found for m- months later. But the uh, and he was the one who led authorities to her. Uh, what would had to her partial remains. And the case file showed um, that he had been um, looked at for in the cases of other missing or unidentified uh, women um, in that area, in that general vicinity of Highway 20, where he spent his whole life. Um, and we, we also learned that he was a, a suspect, he was a longtime suspect in the uh, disappearance um, and presumed killing of his uh, stepdaughter, Richanda Pickle, who was just a child when she went missing. And 
buried in those uh, court records was uh, some some slim uh, reports um, that detailed the sexual assault of a young woman um, before um, Kay had gone missing. And she had made the report. It seemed extremely uh, compelling. Um, and there was some corroborating um, information with her account. And it was clear from the report that the, the documents that she had been um, that she hadn't been believed, and so she was one of the um, the first people that, after really going through all these reports, that I made an effort, made a priority out of reaching out to um, to her. Her name is Marlene Gabrielson, and she really went on to become kind of the moral f- center, the heart of this uh, story, um, uh, because. You know, in, in sort of um, ignoring, minimizing, disregarding her account, uh, it, it sort of led John Aykroyd to on a kind of lethal trajectory. Yeah, her voice is so strong and um, one of the only survivors that we're aware of able to speak out. Um, so the, the series traced the attack on Marlene, the murder of Kay Turner, the disappearance of Aykroyd's stepdaughter, Rashonda Pickle, which eventually led investigators to reopen and look again at the, not reopen necessarily, but look back at the Kay Turner case again. Um, And then others, as you mentioned, other people who had disappeared or been found dead along that road. So, I mean, you and Dave and Beth traveled far and wide for that series. You went up and down that road how many times? And I think you went to Southern California, uh, Texas. So talk a little bit about just the trek, the the physical journey of tracking this story down. Yeah, I mean, it almost became its own character, the the, the highway. um, And uh, we spent a lot of time in these small towns along Highway 20 in Camp Sherman. Um, We... We did travel to Texas to track down witnesses and and to California. It was a really sprawling story, uh, both in time and in number of people and crimes and uh, milestones to track. And um, and it, these were interviews. You know, so, sometimes you know, often as a reporter, you know, we're working in a really tight deadline environment, and and we're, we're on the phone with people and. Um, we're really um, working in a just a, a, a some really tight time constraints, but this story involved you know really old uh, cases, and it required a lot of time and in-person um, contact with people. Th- these stories were really old; they were um, traumatic for many of those uh, who um, you know who were involved, uh, who were able to speak with. Um, and so it, re- it just required a lot of time on the road. And I feel like we really got to know Highway 20 because we traveled it so much. And also Dave recorded so much um, drone footage as well. And, and the three of us were on the road for, for that, helping, you know, serving essentially as assistants that in all, in all seasons, um, and and it, I thought I think it was important for us uh, to be able to capture and convey what this part of Oregon looks like and feels like. It's something that people are do not give thought to, although many many people have traveled Highway 20. Um, they're not stopping to consider it or give it any thought. And so it was really uh, the 
challenge was on us to bring it to life and to really describe what it is to be on or along that highway. Yeah, those striking drone shots really give a sense of the vast forest land and how people could absolutely disappear and never be seen again uh, out in the woods. So, you know, the reason we're talking now is after this uh, series published in late 2018, we heard from October Films out of London, and then eventually Octavia Spencer, an Academy Award-winning actor, signed on as executive producer of a new docuseries based on our work. I know the filmmakers spent a lot of time in Oregon. Tell us about their process in pulling together the new series and what your involvement was. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, they were really rigorous. They it was a, a small team. Uh, the director, under the direction of Ariana Le Pen, um, who had I I think really understood what our project was trying to do, and and you know the, the, I think what we really focused on as a news organization in telling those stories was to amplify the experiences and lives of the people uh, who um, were most impacted by John Aykroyd's actions and to not, we took a lot of, made a lot of effort um, to not amplify him. Um, and I think Ariana really understood that. And I think that's, she wanted to carry that forward in her, in, in the series that she did. Um, and, you know, to be really clear, that's, her, they did it, their own independent work. It's not ours. Um, it's certainly inspired by and based on our work, but um, it's their own kind of vision. And you know, they spent a lot of time in Oregon. I shared my own you know, voluminous case files and reporting and spreadsheets uh, with them. And I spent um, a lot of time with them. Um, they interviewed me here at my home and Ariana did. Um, and, uh, and I, I think we all were just anxious about a project that meant so much to all of us to see how it was going to end up being adapted for, um, uh, for streaming. And, um, I think in their own way, they, you know, they kind of stayed true to the ideas that we had, which were to really, um, focus on the uh, victims. Yeah, and I know it was important to us that the the docuseries, which is called The Lost Women of Highway 20 and debuted on ID Network and Mac's streaming platform, it was important to us that it was journalistically sound and not, you know, fictionalized or uh, made up in any way. It was a, a documentary uh, as our work was. So I know some of the original investigators were in the film as they also were in our uh, video uh, and Marlene Gabrielson and, and Byron Pickle, Rashonda's brother, also was in the docu series. You've talked about how Octavia Spencer's um, piece was uh, alike in highlighting the the stories of the women and their voices. But how was Lost Women different from our original series? Yeah, I mean, our series is really is really different. Actually, it's really different in the look and the um, feel of it. It's I think it's much more of a um, journalistic effort. Um, and because this story is uh, covers a, a really broad period of time, decades, and a expansive landscape, uh, li literally, and many many people, our story really 
slowed down the timeline, I think, in a way that let people uh, better kind of absorb a story that's kind of can be hard to follow. It jumps around. And, um, and, and so our, whereas their story, I think, distilled a lot, um, our, ours, I think, just took more, we just had more time to, to let this, to tell the story. And, and I think also um, we were able to, you know, we, we did flesh out um, the, all all the victims' lives, I think a little, you know, pretty fully and as, as, as best as we could. Uh, And um, this is, these are just differences. I, 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 I have a lot of respect for Ariana and the work that she did and the constraints she was working under. I just think that in our series, um, you, you just had more, more, there was just more information. It was a more of a journalistic endeavor. Yeah, the original Ghosts of Highway 20 on YouTube in its full form. Ariana Le Pen, as Noel mentioned, was the director of Lost Women of Highway 20, the new docuseries. So the, the, the genre of true crime, it's quite interesting for many people. I mean, what, what do you think fascinates people about these stories? You know, I think just, you know, the mystery, the, being able to follow something that's unsolved, um, uh, I think there's just, you know, you're going to get an answer at the end. I think there's something that people find maybe satisfying about that. There's a pursuit of justice and a right and wrong. Maybe there's some clarity around true just true crime that we people that maybe gets lost in um, other kinds of um, media we consume. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm actually not a big true crime fan, so I I don't know. Um, I, I and I think the fact that I'm not a true crime fan comes through in the series because we really I think in a typical formula we would have you know tracked an investigator or we would have followed the killer and what was his story and what drove him and and those were things we needed to get at but they were the volume on those things was turned way down in our work on this and that's just not formulaic. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the typical formula would be to follow the detective who who solved the crime or follow the district attorney who finally put the bad guy away. And as you said, this was sprawling over decades. There was no one detective. Uh, there was a DA who was the one who prosecuted um, John Aykroyd in the Kate Turner case, but he wasn't necessarily involved in every single one. So, and and I know that the team felt strongly about focusing on the women and elevating their voices. It was early, fairly early on in the re- reporting when we discovered that John Aykroyd had died in prison. Yeah, I, I considered that a, um, a, a setback because, of course, from my point of view, I was hoping to interview Aykroyd. I now, I don't, I don't think that would have been likely but you know at the at the outset I, I had hoped to be able to do that and then when he died I thought um I wasn't even sure that we would pursue the story and I remember you uh saying um you know onward you know and uh, I and it and it turned out that actually actually um, in Aykroyd's death, we were able to get a lot of access to records we never would have gotten if he remained alive. Um, and so uh, in that way, we, we were able to pursue reporting in a, in a much more, um, m- much more fully than we would have been had he um, stayed alive. So talk a little about that. In the course of your reco- reporting, you discovered this, this plea that nobody else had ever been aware of in, I believe it was Lynn County. Talk about that and how you 
brought that to to the public. Yeah, it was so confounding having covered uh, courts in Oregon for um, a couple decades. I had never encountered just that kind of secrecy um, and sort of stonewalling around what appeared to be, have been a court proceeding. And uh, but but it took a long time to get to the point where, and I think it, I think Ackroyd's death helped helped us to jog that loose that in fact there had been this plea and uh, it was a no contest plea in the death of his um, stepdaughter and that had never we had been really um that we, we'd never really had any details on that um and there was a lot of pain associated with that from the um Richanda's brother byron who had thought he had to keep he was living with this idea that he had to keep all this to himself and um, it just compounded his grief and um, just sense of sorrow around his daughter, his, excuse me, his sister's uh, death. And so when we realized there had been this proceeding, we, the Oregonian uh, pursued uh, in court, the, the records that helped us really flesh out that proceeding and showed that he had entered this plea. Um, and we were able to get the um, audio recording from the very brief hearing where he did enter that plea. And and his and Richanda's brother also then, you know, he felt liberated, honestly, to be able to express what that was like and to 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 talk about his, you know, providing feedback to the prosecutor on on allowing that plea to go forward and just all of the emotions that that turned up in him and. So it was a it was kind of an extraordinary chapter. Yeah, he was a very compelling figure. I think he's a compelling figure in both projects, in both our project and in Ariana Le Pen's project. He's just a an extremely um, powerful spokesperson for his sister's memory. Yeah, and I feel like viewers uh, from our experience in 2018 really bonded with him and with Marlene and. Can you talk a little bit about what's what's happened with them since the original publication? Yeah, I think it's was it's very di- it was very difficult for Byron to uh, sit down with us and, and to revisit these painful memories. And I I know that that he had some hesitance in doing that again with the um, with Ariana and her crew. Um, and uh, I think though, at least after our project, I think he felt. I think he was glad that he had done that. Um, it was a gesture for his a tribute to his sister. Um, and Marlene, I remain in fairly close touch with, uh, regular contact with. And you know, I think the project was transformative. Our, our project was transformative for Marlene in some ways um, because this was a burden that she carried for many, many years. In that was really buried in a lot of shame, and um, and racism and she just felt that she was um, ignored um, because she was a young Native American woman and she was not taken seriously and she really that really um, left her with a pretty deep trauma and I think in releasing that story to the world um, I think that changed some things for her on a fundamental basis and she didn't feel ashamed to tell the story and i think her shame around that turned to kind of anger about 
having the consequences of having been ignored. Yeah, that power of telling the truth and being believed. I mean, you know, I think she surely felt the affirmation of so many people once they heard her story and believed her story, unlike what first occurred after the attack. So now to the other two victims, Melissa and Sheila. Um, John Aykroyd was never convicted in their killings, and he died in prison, as we said. Uh, he was convicted in the Kay Turner case, and he pleaded no contest in the Rashonda Pickle case, although he never gave up where uh, that little girl's body was. So how certain are detectives that Aykroyd was the perpetrator in the Melissa and Sheila case? I think the detectives feel, or the investigators feel very, very certain um, that he was linked to those um, deaths. What we we don't have is, you know, conclusive um, evidence that links him to their um, the disappearances and their their deaths. What we have is kind of a tangle of uh, int- what I'd say is in- really intriguing circumstantial evidence that um, links him to their disappearances and um, deaths, and uh, you know the fact that he knew these women. He d- he just he just knew a lot of people, young women who ended up dying in violent, tragic ways and ended up being the last person to see them. And in this case, we have multiple people who don't know one another saying things that point to Aykroyd as a, as a viable suspect. Um, And so that's this, you know that's a it's un, very unsatisfying because like in a, in a unlike in some stories you know where you have clarity and a, a clear conclusion here we have some un, we have a lot of really important questions that have gone unanswered and and are likely never to be answered and i know we're aware of other disappearances and other remains found along the highway i mean john Aykroyd spent his life in that area as you said uh, growing up there and then working as a highway worker for the state of Oregon, often alone driving up and down the highway. I mean, what about the others? What do, what do we know about other potential victims? We know just that he, uh, yeah, he was in this area, that this is an area where he fished and hunted, that, uh, you know, he admitted to investigators, you know, knew very well um, that he knew the back roads. Uh, he knew how to get around. Um, he, and, and 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 the areas where these other uh, women went missing or where their remains were found are is sort of, sort of right along the route that he would have you know been on uh, that he would have taken that he would be really familiar with and they themselves fit this kind of general profile you know younger women um, vulnerable alone um, and so. Uh, Again, it, it, it's it, it, we don't have anything that, and we make that clear in the series. It's, it's we don't have anything that conclusively links him to this. It's just um, uh, it's unsettling his proximity to uh, to where these people were found, or where their possessions were found, or where we know they were last seen. Yes, and all the unanswered questions uh, died with John Aykroyd, uh, who, as we said, went to prison died alone in his cell, presumably of heart disease or heart attack, um, still collecting his PERS payment from the state of Oregon, uh, even while behind bars. So um, thank you, Noelle, 
as well as Beth and Dave for the terrific series. You can read the entire thing on projects.organlive.com slash Ghosts of Highway 20. You can go to YouTube and search for Ghosts of Highway 20. And with that, I'll call it a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to Be Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Tell a friend and help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.